Part four of The Highwaymen by H. C. Bailey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter ten Young Blood. There is reason to believe that from the first Mr. Hadley suspected he was making a fool of himself. This sensation, the common accompaniment of an attempt to do your duty, was just of the right strength to ensure that all his actions should be disastrous. It was, as you see, not strong enough to restrain him from exciting the dull and choleric mind of Sir John Burford. It did not avail to direct the ensuing storm, and then, having first failed to be sufficient check, it developed into a very paralysis. Startled by the furies he had roused in Alison, Mr. Hadley found that suspicion of his own folly develop into a gruesome conviction. It compelled him to labour with Sir John vehemently until that blundering knight consented to wait before exploding his alarms upon Lady Waverton. Even as the first blundering remonstrances had irritated Alison's wanton will into passionate resolution, so this ensuing vacillation and delay gave it opportunity. If the tale had been told to Lady Waverton, no doubt, but Harry would have been banished from Tetherdown that night. It is likely, indeed, that the ultimate fates of Alison and Harry would have been the same, but many antecedent adventures must have been different or superfluous. Mr. Hadley was now full of common sense. Mr. Hadley sagely argued with his uncle that they would do more harm than good by carrying their tale to Lady Waverton. The woman was a fool in grain, and whatever she did would surely do it in the silliest way. Tell her a word, and she would swiftly give birth to a scandal which the world would not willingly let die, in which Mr. Harry Boyce, if he were indeed the knave of their hypotheses, might easily find a means to strengthen his grip of Alison. It was better to wait, and so Mr. Hadley, with a sour smile, see which way the cat jumped. Perhaps Madame Alison, who was no kitten, might not be altogether infatuated. The shock of the afternoon, for all her heroics, might have waked in her some doubt of the charms of Mr. Boyce. The girl was shrewd enough. She had dealt with fortune hunters before, remembered the Scottish lord's son, and shown her humorous appreciation of the tribe. She was not a chit with the green sickness. She was neither so young nor so old that she must needs fall into the arms of any man who made eyes at her. After all, likely enough, she was but amusing herself with Mr. Boyce. Not a very delicate business, but they were full-blooded folk, the Lambournes. Remember old Tom, her father? There was a jolly bluff rogue. Well, if Miss was but having her fling, it would do no good to tease her. Thus Mr. Hadley, cautiously recoiling, doubting or hoping he was making the best of things, brought Sir John, in spite of some boilings over, safe back to his home and his jovial daughter. When Harry and his father rode away from Alison, 
for once in a while Harry found his father's mood in tune with his own. Colonel Boyce suddenly relapsed from hilarity into a perfect silence. He soon reined in his horse to a walk, and his wonted alert, soldierly bearing suffered eclipse. He gave at the back, he was thoughtful, he was melancholy, a very comfortable companion. "'Pray, sir, when do we start for France?' said Harry at length. "'What's that? Egad, you're in a hurry, ain't you? "'Not to-night, nor yet to-morrow. "'Time enough, time enough. "'Make the best of it, Harry.' "'It occurred to Harry that his father was preoccupied. "'But with that he did not concern himself. "'He was in too much tumult. "'It appeared he would be able to meet Alison in the morning. "'He did not know whether he was glad.' He had been telling himself that he would have snatched at the excuse to fail her, and yet was not sure that if his father had announced instant departure he would not have bidden his father to the devil. But still in a fashion he was angry, in a degree he was frightened. He knew that he would go meet the girl now. He could not help himself, an exasperating state. And when he was with her, her presence now, set all his nature rioting with other folk by it was hard enough to be sane when he was alone with her in the wood what would the wild wench be to him before they parted there was no love in him he had no tenderness for her he did not want to cherish her serve her glorify her only she made him mad with passion but according to his private lights he was honest and wished to be and was therefore commanded to try to save the girl from his wicked will and hers he despised himself for the gleam of cautious duty what in the world was worth so much as the rose petals of her face the round swell of her breast damn harry a man's a fool to be ambitious so his father broke in upon this tumult why do we fret and trick after a place or a purse or a trifle of power harry stared at him lord sir why are you so moral and then colonel boyce began to laugh i grow old i think oh the devil i never had regrets worse than the morning's headache from last night's wine i suppose if you live long enough life's a procession of morning headaches well i vow i've not lived long enough yet harry i dare say you are the best judge harry admitted there's a higher court eh who knows maybe we are all toys of chance he shrugged why then damn i have never been afraid to take what i chose and wait for the bill dodge it or pay it odzo there is no other way for a hungry man lord sir now you are philosophical what's the matter umph i suppose my stomach is weakening said colonel boyce i don't digest things as i did in this pensive temper they came back to tetherden the colonel's servant was waiting for him with letters and he was seen no more that night harry did not know till afterwards that mr waverton as well as letters was taken to the colonel's room madame alison was left by the exhortations of her anxious friends feeling defiant of all the world it is a comfortable condition but 
for a passionate girl of twenty-two fruitful of delusions alison's was so far happier than harry in that she knew what she wanted you will wonder if you will how harry boyce with nothing handsome about him but his legs could rouse in a girl just such a wild longing as her beauty set ablaze in him these problems comforting to the conceit of man are numerous and as usual madame had dreamed her gentleman into a wonderful fellow the overthrow of the highwayman became from the first a splendid achievement sure mr boyce must be of rare courage and strength even as he was deliciously adroit and that insolent air with which he did his devoir gave one a sweet thrill afterwards he progressed in her imagination from victory to victory what served him best was his capacity for puzzling her that its hero should want to keep such a gallant affair a secret proved him of amazing modesty or amazing pride perhaps both a tintillating combination it surprised her more that he should dare rebuff the advances of miss lambourne madame knew very well the power of her beauty over men if she gave one half an inch she expected that he should be instantly mad to get an l of her but here was mr boyce though she gave him a good many inches as supercilious about her as if he were a woman it was incredible that the creature had no warm blood in him indeed she had proof she could still make herself feel the ache of his grasp in the wood that he was on occasion as fierce as any woman need want a man why then monsieur must be defying her out of wanton pride a marvellous fellow who dared think himself too good for her she made no account of all his wise honest talk about being poor while she was rich to her temper it was impossible that a man who wanted her in his arms should stop to weigh his purse and hers or to consider what the world would say of him for wooing her all that must be mere fencing mere mockery to be sure he fenced mighty cleverly the smug meekness which he put on when she attacked him before others was bewildering if she had never seen him in action she must have been deceived and faith it seemed certain that he wanted to deceive her to put her off to put her aside the haughty gentleman dared believe that he could be very comfortable without miss lambourne it must not be allowed he was by far too fine a fellow to be let go his way faith it was mighty noble this self-sufficient power of his capable of anything caring for nothing hiding itself behind an impenetrable mask and living a secret life of its own she was on fire to enter into him and take possession and use him for herself so she was driven by a double need knew it and was not the least ashamed she longed to have harry boyce in her arms and his grip cruel upon her but also she wanted to conquer him and hold his mind at her order she imagined him under her direction winning all manner of fame and she believed herself mightily in love 
there is a moss on the birch trunks which makes a colour of singular charm a soft delicate grey-green a hood of that colour embraced alison's black hair and the glow of the dark eyes and her raspberry lips the cloak of the same colour she drew close about her with one gauntleted hand so that it confessed her shape the birches could still show a few golden leaves though each moment another went whirling away as the crests bowed and tossed before the wind in the brown bracken beneath harry boyce stood waiting his graces were set off with his customary rusty black his hat was well down upon his bob wig and he hunched his shoulders against the wind making a picture of melancholy discomfort he rocked to and fro a little according to a habit of his when he was excited alison was very close to him before she stopped what have you come for he growled she drew a breath and then very quietly for you she said you have had enough fun with me ma'am her breast was touching him and he did not draw back then why did you come she laughed because i'm a fool a fool to want me by god yes you know that you slut no you would be a fool if you didn't you man be careful harry flushed oh lord was i made to be careful he gripped her hand and after a moment take off your hood he muttered is that all she laughed and let it fall from hair and neck and looked as though sunlight had flashed out at her honest gentleman you are likely satisfied so are not you i vow she was pleased to answer that with a scrap of a song jog on jog on the footpath way and merrily hent the style a a merry heart goes all the way a sad one tires in a mile a faith yours is a mighty sad one harry pray what are you the better for stripping me of this she flirted the hood i can see those wicked colours of yours lord what a fool is a man to go mad for a show of pink and white and is that all i am harry shrugged item a pair of eyes that look sideways item a woman's body with arms and sufficient legs lud it's an inventory i'm for sale then well what's your bid i've a shilling in my pocket ma'am and want it to buy tobacco oh silly what does a man pay for a woman harry laughed why nothing if she's worth buying then alison said softly going going gone and clapped her hands and laughed you go beyond me at least harry said in a moment she put her hands behind her and leaned forward till her bosom pressed upon him lightly and then with her head tilted back so that he saw the white curve from under her chin and the line of the blue vein in it you want me harry she said you know that too well by god too well for what sir too well for my peace ma'am he flushed his peace she laughed oh lud the dear man wants peace he flung himself upon her holding her to him as she staggered back and kissed her till she was gasping for breath gripped her head to hold it against his kisses buried his face in the fragrance of her neck 
she gave herself her arm still behind her offering the swell of her breasts to him her eyes gay you are mine now you're mine do you hear he said unsteadily i want you she smiled and was crushed again when he let her go it was to step back and look at her wondering and intent she stood something less than her full height her bosom beating fast she was all flushed and smiling but now her eyes were dim and they met his shyly egad you're exalting he said with a wry smile i feel all power when you grasp at me so power just power no faith you are not when i hold you to me when you yield for me i am all the power there is damn the very life of the world so then she looked at him through her eyelashes and have it so for it's i who give you all in effect harry said and then go to you make us both mad i am content yes for how long she made an exclamation have i worn out the poor gentleman already would you keep yourself for me will you wait why what have we to wait for now till i am something more than this shabby usher i despise you when you talk so her face flamed fie what's a word and a coat you have lived with me in your arms you are what i make of you then is it enough harry is it not enough i'll come to your arms something better before i come again i'm off to france ah then she studied him for a little while you meant to run away then oh brave harry oh wise pray are you not ashamed yes shame's the only wear i'll not spare you i vow gad ma'am mercy never was a virtue of yours is it mercy you want in a woman i'll take what i want not ask for it why now you brag and if there is not in me what monsieur wants so much the worse for us both but you should have thought of that before faith harry you take it sombrely she made a wry mouth at him pluck up heart i vow i'll satisfy you you'll not deny me anything you have she paused a moment amen so be it and must we never smile again i wonder he took her hands i wonder will you be smiling to-morrow when i am away to france oh are you still set on that fancy she gave a contemptuous laugh prithee harry shall i like you the better for waiting till you have france lace at your neck and a frenchified air you'll please to wait till i bring miss lambourne a fellow who has done something more than snuffle over a servitor's books i want to prove myself alison you have proved yourself on me sir what am i a lean wench in despair to hunger for a snuffling servitor if you were that i were not for you but i know you better god help me my lord lucifer why then take the goods the gods provide you and say grace over me harry shook his head smiling lord it's a mule pray what do you look to do in france i am pledged to my father and his policies to go poking behind the curtains of the war and deal with the go-betweens of princes so you talk big well i like to hear it what is the business 
my father if you believe him has marlborough's secrets in his pocket and is sent to chaffer for him you may guess where and why queen anne hath a brother her eyes sparkled you like the adventure harry egad i begin to think so i love you for that she cried and it was the first time she spoke the word why then first go with me to church and call me wife he drew in his breath by god do you mean that why don't you mean me honourably she gave an unsteady laugh her eyes mistily kind he sprang at her chapter eleven absence of mr waverton it was always in after-life alleged by mr hadley that his steady interest in the family of his uncle was nothing but a desire to keep the old gentleman out of mischief sir john burford was indeed of a temper too irascible to be safe with his bucolically english mind a man who in throwing tankards at his servants and challenges at his friends was a source of continuous anxiety to his reasonable kinsfolk but he had also a daughter she received a benevolent mr hadley when on the morning after the explosions in alison's house he came to see whether sir john was still dangerous or his daughter any thinner <laughs> it was the latter purpose which he professed to susan burford she was not annoyed in her cradle she had been instructed that she was a jolly fat girl and through life she accepted the status like every other which was given her with great good humour she was in fact no fatter than serves to give a tall woman an air of genial well-being it was conjectured by her friends that her father needing all his irascibility for himself had allowed her to inherit only his physical qualities she had indeed the largeness of sir john and his open countenance her supreme equanimity perhaps came from her mother she was by a dozen years at least younger than mr hadley and always thought him a very clever boy sir john is gone out to the pigs mr hadley perhaps you'll go too she said and looked innocent well they are peaceful company susan and you're so surly i thought you would find some joke in that said susan with kindly satisfaction damn don't be so maternal it's cloying to the male be discreet susan you will talk as though you had weaned me but a year or two and still wanted me at the breast susan was not disconcerted will you drink a tankard said she or sir john has some spanish wine which he makes much of susan you despise men it is a vile infidel habit he paused and susan dutifully smiled why now what are you laughing at you you don't know what i mean to be sure no said susan does it matter oh lord your repartees bludgeons and broadswords i mean ma'am you think men are naught but casks things to fill with drink and victuals is it not true susan considered this her head a little on one side and smiling she wore a dress of dark blue velvet cut low about the neck and so nature having made her sumptuous was very well suited egad now i know what you're like 
Mr. Hadley cried. You're one of Reuben's women, Susan. Just one of those plump, spacious dames, as healthy as milk and peaches, and blandly jolly about it. Susan looked down at herself with her usual amiable satisfaction, and patted the heavy coils of her yellow hair, and said, Sir John often talks of having me painted, but that's after dinner. Will you stay dinner, Mr. Hadley? Damn, Susan, what should I say after dinner, if I say so much now? Susan smiled upon him with perfect calm. Why, I never can tell what you will say. Can you? You're a hypocrite, Susan. You look as simple as a baby, and the truth is you're deep, devilish deep. Here, he fumbled in his pocket, here's a guinea for your thoughts if you tell them true. Now, what are you thinking, ma'am? Why, I'm thinking that you came to see my father, and yet you stay here talking to me. She gurgled pleasant laughter and held out her hand for the guinea. Mr. Hadley still retained it. That pleases you, does it? Yes, indeed. You're so comical. Mr. Hadley surrendered the guinea, looked at his empty left sleeve, and made a wry face. Lord, yes, I am comical enough. A lop-sided grotesque. That's not fair. He had at last made her blush. You know well I did not mean that. I think it makes you look noble. It makes me feel a fool, said Mr. Hadley. Lord Susan, one arm's not enough to go round you. So we'll kill the austral hog for Christmas. That apposite interruption came in her father's robust voice. Sir John strode rolling in. What, Charles? In very good time, egad. You can come with me. What, sir, back to the swine? I profess Susan makes as pretty company. Sir John was pleased to laugh. Ay, the wench pays for her victuals, too. Damn, Sue, you look good enough to eat. He chucked her chin paternally. Well, my lad, I have thought over that business, and I'm taking horse to ride over to Tetherden. Oh, Lord, said Mr. Hadley, and what then, sir? I'll talk to Master Geoffrey. Oh, Lord, said Mr. Hadley again. Do it delicately. Delicate be damned, said Sir John. I had better ride with you, said Mr. Hadley. Good boy. Here, Roger. Mr. Hadley's horse. Susan stood up. Lord, sir, you will not be here to dinner, then? Sir John shook his head. Mr. Hadley scratched his chin. I am not so sure that Geoffrey will give us a dinner said he why sir susan was interested what's your business with mr waverton to tell him he's a fool wench quoth sir john oh and will mr waverton like that like it odso he'll like it well enough if he has sense mr hadley grinned that's logic faith well sir have with you so they rode off on the way sir john was pleased to expound to Mr. Hadley the profound sagacity of his new plan. He would rally Geoffrey on his flaccidity, accuse him of being an oaf, and describing all the while in an inflammatory manner the charms of Alison, hint that Geoffrey's tutor had ambitions after them, and if that don't wake up my gentleman, he may go to the devil for me and deserve it. 
it crossed mr hadley's lucid mind that a gentleman who required so much waking up did not deserve miss lambourne but she was quite capable of discovering that for herself if indeed she had not already and certainly it would do geoffrey no harm to be made uncomfortable so mr hadley rode on with right good will but when they came to tetherdon it was announced that mr waverton had gone riding why then we'll wait for him sir john strode in the butler looked dubious mr waverton had said nothing of when he would come back why the devil should he sir john stretched his legs before the fire he'll dine won't he the butler bowed prithee william said mr hadley is mr boyce in the house mr boyce sir is gone walking mr hadley shrugged odso away with you sir john waved the man off let my lady know we are here the butler coughed my lady is in bed sir john what still quoth sir john for it was close upon noon hath been afoot sir john but took to her bed half an hour since what what is she ailing the butler could not say but looked a volume of secrets so that sir john swore him out of the room vaporous old wench charles sir john snorted and a second time mr hadley shrugged in a little while the butler came back even more puffed up her ladyship hoped to receive the gentleman in half an hour chapter twelve in haste oh harry harry i give in i am the weaker vessel at least i have the shorter legs what you're asking me to spare you already lord how will you bear me as a husband they were under the great beeches in hampstead lane breasting the rise to the heath on their march for that kindly chapel where if you dined in the tavern annexed the incumbent would marry you for nothing charge but the five shillings cost price of the queen's license and ask no questions harry shortened his stride and looked down with grim amusement at alison's breathless bosom i believe you mean to make an end of me before you have begun with me she panted lord sir what a figure you'll cut if you bring me to church too faint to say i will why the levite would but take it for maiden modesty not knowing you you are trying to play the brute i won't save you harry i shan't be frightened you no faith it's i i'm beside myself with terror i do believe that's true she laughed at him but oh dear sir why lest i should not fulfil the heroical expectations of miss lambourne confess it ma'am you count on me to exalt you into heavens of ecstasy to bewilder the world with my glories and be shaved by breakfast time to be sure i'll always expect the impossible of you there it is i suppose you expect me to begin by creating a wedding ring why you have created me oh no 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 you're a splendid iniquity but not mine i vow this woman of yours never lived till you made her i profess miss lambourne was never known for a dull cold thing born to suckle fools and chronicle small beer so she wrote me down her property 
Egad, ma'am, it was very natural. You know what you have made of me, Alison said. God knows what you'll make of me, and now in the matter of the ring. Oh, Lord, what a trivial thing is a man. She drew off her glove and held out a hand with two rings on it. Marry me with which you will. One was a plain piece of gold, paler than the common, carved into an odd device of a snake, biting its tail. With thine own ring I thee wed, Harry said, and took it off. I take you to witness, Mrs. Allison, the snake was in your paradise before I came. They were across the heath now, and going down the steep, narrow lane beyond. The chapel of the Hampstead marriages stood raw red beside a garden with lawns and arbors shaggy in winter's untidiness. Even the tavern at the gate, a spreading one-story place of timber, looked dead and desolate. Harry forced open the sticking door and strode in, Madame Alison loitering behind. He was met by a dirty lad, whose gaping clothes were half hidden by a leather apron, and whose shoes protruded straw, a lad who smelt of the stable and small beer. "'Where's the priest?' said Harry. "'In the tap,' said the boy, and shuffled off. There came out into the passage, wheezing and wiping his chops, a little bloated man in a cassock, with his bands about his right ear. He leered at Harry, and tried to look round him at Alison. "'You're out of season, my lord,' said he. "'These chill rains, they play the mischief with lusty blood. Go to, you'll not be denied, won't you?' "'Do you dine here? We have no time for it. What? You're hasty, ain't you?' He gave a hoarse laugh. "'There's my fee to pay, then.' "'Here's a guinea to pay for all,' said Harry. The dirty fist took it. The little red eyes peered at it closely. The dirty mouth bit it and was satisfied. "'Go you round to the chapel door and wait. Lord, but man and wench never had to wait for me.' He waddled off. Harry turned upon Alison. "'So, with all my worldly goods, I thee endow,' he said with a crooked smile. God give you joy of them. I vow I was never so frightened of spending a guinea. Why, do you doubt if I'm worth it? Nay, sir, I'm honest stuff, and challenge any trial. Harry looked down at her, and was met by eyes as bold as his own. The chapel door opened, and the little priest beckoned them in. A pair of witnesses were already posted by the altar. The dirty lad of the tavern, and a shock-headed wench. License first, license first. The parson bustled off to a table in the corner. I warrant you we do things decently in Sion. Ay, and tightly, my pretty. Never a lawyer can undo my knots. Never fear. He scratched laboriously over their names, while the dank smell of the place sank into them. They were marched to the altar. A hoarse muttering poured from the priest. He made no pretense of solemnity or even of meaning. He was concerned only to make an end and have done with them. Of all the service they heard nothing clearly but what they said themselves, and while they were deliberate over that, the little priest grunted and puffed at them. 
he ended with a leer and drove them before him back to the table there was more scratching in his register the two uncouth witnesses scrawled something for their names and shambled off let's breathe some free air said harry and laid hold of his wife the parson chuckled free you'll never be free again my lord i can see that in madame's eyes what you are sold your birthright for a mess of pottage ain't you and mighty savoury pottage too says you he rolled his eyes and smacked his lips softly now softly madame wants her certificate madame wants to warrant herself a lawful married wife if you don't there my lady and happy to marry you again any day at the same price they were away from him at last and in clean air stretching their legs up the hill again poor harry alison laughed before you looked like a man fighting for his life now you look like a man going to be hanged dear lad pray how much would you give to escape me now she put her arm into his he let her shorten his stride a little but made no other confession of her existence fie harry it's over early to repent in all reason you should first be sure of your sin who knows it may not be deadly after all alack said he i will not be comforted egad the world's a cheat a fool and his folly are soon parted they told me and here i am tied to her till death do us part so a halter gratis for god's sake you're full of other folks nonsense mrs boyce said harry with a grim look at her oh noble name she bobbed a curtsy full i am full of nothing but fasting i she sighed and turned up her eyes fasting from all but our sacrament they were upon the ridge of the heath and harry checked her and stood looking away over the wide prospect of mist-veiled meadow and dim blue woods she was beginning her mocking chatter again when he broke in with odds life how done and turned to look deep into her eyes there's mystery in this and i think you see nothing of it why yes faith if you were no mystery should i want you if you had discovered all of me would you want me bah what do you know of living you and i or or of love she laughed with a scrap of twisted song most living is feigning most loving mere folly then heigh-ho the holly this life is most jolly he shrugged and marched her on again pray sir will you dine at home she said demurely harry flushed i must go tell my father and all he growled i'll be with you soon enough madame wife oh brave dear sir have with you i must see geoffrey's face egad let's be decent harry cried decent for shame sir what's more decent than man and wife man and wife harry echoed it with a sour laugh do you feel a wife i never felt less of a man you shall be satisfied she said and looked at him gravely and i i am not afraid harry chapter thirteen distress of a mother mr hadley and sir john burford 
in the hall at tetherden looked at each other across the fire would you call for a pipe now charles said sir john fidgeting there'll be none in this house sir geoffrey has no stomach for tobacco damn if i know what he hath a stomach for sir john grumbled and kicked at the burning logs he don't eat no more than an old woman nor drink so much as a young miss ain't the half-hour gone charles that's a poetic phrase sir it means a year or so while she's tiring her hair what and painting her face too same as jezebel my lady's waiting-woman arabella came in she minced in the manner of her mistress but being a foot shorter with different effect she stood before sir john who had the largest chair and stared at him with languid insolence odds my life don't ogle me woman says he at your leisure sir if you please she tossed her head leisure oh lord i met leisure thankee arabella sniffed i think you are in madame's chair sir mr hadley explained what then she ain't here nor i don't carry the plague the lady-in-waiting wants to compose it for madame compose sir john exploded an oath and jumped up i haven't decomposed it arabella dusted the chair wheeled it a little this way and that put two footstools before it and three cushions into it contemplated them for some time and then shifted them a little after which she minced out with a great sigh good god said sir john i wonder said mr hadley i wonder if we've come to take the breeks off a highlander what's your will sir john gasped i wonder if my lady knows all we can tell her it might have made her hypochondriac hype who odzo i'm hyped myself my lady came she had so much flowing drapery about her that she seemed all robes she moved very slowly she was bowed and she leaned upon the shoulder of arabella with care she deposited herself in the big chair arabella arranged her draperies arranged the cushion and stood aside my lady lay back put back the lace about her head and showed them her large pale face and sighed you are welcome gentlemen said she you are vastly kind odzo ma'am what's the matter sir john cried why have you not heard arabella he has not heard my lady was convulsed and clutched at the maid who comforted her with a scent bottle he has gone she sighed he has gone what the devil who the devil my lady recovered herself from somewhere in her voluminous folds she produced a letter if it would please you be patient with me my unhappy eyes she dabbed at them with a handful of lace and read my lady my mother i have but time for these few unkempt lines wherein to bid you for a while farewell my good friend colonel boyce has favoured me with an occasion to go see something of the warring world beyond the sea and i since the inglorious leisure of the hearth irks my blood heartily company with him it needs not that you indulge in tears save such as must fall for my absence i seek honour so with a son's kiss i leave you my mother
G.W. On which his mother's voice broke, and she wept. Lord, what a fop, said Sir John. My lady swelled in her draperies. So he's gone to the war, has he? Odzo, I didn't think he had it in him. Sir, if you jeer at my bereavement, my lady sobbed. And where's Harry Boyce, said Mr. Hadley? Sir John stared at him. Why, seeking honour too, ain't he? What's in your head, Charles? This is rude, my lady sobbed. This is brutal. The tutor, oh, heaven, what is the tutor to me? I would to God I had never seen him, him nor his wicked father. Sir John tugged at Mr. Hadley's empty sleeve and drew him aside. What are you pointing at, Charles? Do you mean the two rogues have took Geoffrey off to make away with him between them? Lord, sir, you've a villainous imagination, Mr. Hadley grinned. I mean no such matter. Nay, I'll lay a guinea. Harry Boyce is not gone at all. Sir John, my lady raised herself, and was shrill. What are you whispering there? What? What? You mean the old fellow took Geoffrey off to leave the young fellow a clear field with Ally Lamborn? Odzo, that's devilish deep, ain't it? But we can set the young fellow packing, my lad. We, Sir John, my lady's voice rose higher yet. Coming, ma'am, coming. Odd burn my heart and soul. That last invocation was not directed at her, but an invading tumult. The butler entered backwards, protesting between two men who did not take off their hats. They were in riding boots and cloaks, and splashed from the road. They had pistol butts ostentatious in their side pockets, and one carried some papers in his hand. "'Stand back, my bully, stand back, or you'll smell Newgate,' says he to the butler. "'Burn your impudence,' Sir John roared, and strode forward. "'In the Queen's name, messengers of the Secretary of State, with his warrant.' The man waved his papers under Sir John's nose. "'Master of the house, are you?' I am Sir John Burford of Finchley, and be hanged to you. There is the mistress of this house, sirrah, said Mr. Hadley. Thank ye. In the Queen's name, ma'am, warrant to take Oliver Boyce, Colonel, and Geoffrey Waverton, Esquire. My lady shrieked, fell back, and was understood to be fainting. You come too late, sirrah, said Mr. Hadley. Your foxes be gone away. The man tapped his nose and grinned. That won't do, sir. Set about it, Joe. And he nudged his fellow. What's the charge against them? says Mr. Hadley. The man laughed. Come, sir, you know better than that. I ain't here to answer questions. Mr. Hadley put his hand in his pocket. The man grinned and shook his head and went out, pushing his comrade in front of him. Mr. Hadley followed them. As soon as they were out in the corridor, and the door was shut behind them. The man turned and held out his hand to Mr. Hadley, who dropped into it a couple of guineas. "'Lord, now, what did you think it was?' says the messenger genially. "'Treasonable correspondence, pretender, Louis de Grand, and so forth. Quite gentlemanlike. Do you smoke me?' "'Prithee, who set you on?' said Mr. Hadley. "'Now you go too far, God, You do.' I don't mind obliging a gentleman, but you want to lose me my place. 
we'll be searching the house by your leave off they went and mr hadley went back to my lady she had been revived and the air was heavy with scent she fluttered her hands at the ministering arabella and said faintly what is it charles it seems there's some talk of their having dealings with the pretender lord bless my soul sir john puffed the pretender lady waverton smiled through her powder la now geoffrey's father always had a kindness for the young prince i vow ma'am you take it with a fine spirit said mr hadley in some surprise you'll find mr hadley that such families as ours the older families know how to bear themselves in this cause sir john stared at her and puffed the louder and muttered very audibly here is a turnabout oh ma'am to be sure it's a well-born party mr hadley shrugged do you give us leave to remain and see that these fellows show no impudence oh sir you are very obliging says my lady superciliously mr hadley bowed and withdrew to the recess of a window with sir john following here's a queer thing charles did ever you know master geoffrey was a jacobite mr hadley shook his head nor this colonel boyce neither i never saw a jacobite in so good a coat and i never thought geoffrey would risk his coat for any king and thirdly and lastly i never knew whitehall put itself out in these days whether a man was jacobite or no why damn they be all half jacobites themselves from the queen down ay ay says sir john sagely a devilish queer thing indeed and on that came alison and harry alison rosy and smiling harry a pale and deliberate appendage dear lady waverton let me present my husband lady waverton sat up straight lady waverton embraced the pair of them with a bewildered glare i married him this morning alison laughed alison this is unmaidenly jesting said my lady feebly why if it were so it might be but the truth is it's unmaidenly truth for i am mrs harry boyce give me joy joy my lady gasped it's unworthy it's cruel oh geoffrey geoffrey how dare you she was again understood to faint through the rustle of arabella and the odours of scent came the explosions of sir john swearing mr hadley moved forward and ignoring alison addressed himself to harry pray sir did you know that mr waverton this morning left tetherton in your father's company your father taking him as he says in a letter to the wars knew lady waverton chose to speak out of her swoon to be sure they knew they would not have dared else dear geoffrey a villain and you miss you whom he trusted oh she again took scent la ma'am he trusted me no more than i him you are not well i think you give me news mr hadley harry said i knew that my father meant to go abroad and understood that i was to go with him perhaps you'll go after him mr hadley shrugged and turned away why what's all this harry alison laughed your wise father hath chosen to take geoffrey instead of you in spite of my modesty i'm surprised ma'am says harry 
burn your impudent face quoth sir john from the background well sir if you were in your father's plans maybe you'll pay your father's debts quoth mr hadley what do i owe you mr hadley says harry bristling the two messengers came back again right enough sir gone away the spokesman nodded at mr hadley we'll be riding trust no offence he looked hopeful here's colonel boyce's son wishing to answer for his father the man looked harry up and down and chuckled lord and mighty like servant sir he winked at harry tell the colonel sorry we missed him he winked again and laughed what's this comedy of yours mr hadley says harry your friends have warrants to arrest your father and mr waverton for treasonable correspondence with the pretender but none for you i fear mr boyce devil a one the man laughed come ned we'll be jogging out they swung a bewildered company full of suspicions stared at one another come harry let us go home alison said home lady waverton gasped with an hysterical laugh hear her my lady alison made her a curtsy gentlemen all the friends of mr boyce will be very welcome to me sir john swore you for a fool and he for a knave damn you're well matched when you were younger sir i suppose you were less of a bore says harry mr hadley my lady he made two stiff bows and gave his arm to alison humph they go off with the honours mr hadley shrugged and held out his arm in front of sir john who was plunging after them be hanged to you what did the rogue mean telling me i was old why he meant that a man who is too old to fight should be civil too old sir john fumed burn him for a coward i think not said mr hadley but for the rest god be with you my lady sincerely your servant my lady was now weeping you never loved him she complained you were never his friend and she became speechless the two men looked at each other well charles wheel to horse sir john concluded servant ma'am they left her in the scented embraces of arabella to harry as he went out came the butler who with something of a furtive manner produced and gave him a letter harry looked at the writing and thrust it into his coat alison saw and took no notice they walked on for some way before silence was broken then harry said well madam wife so you feel you've been bit who i what do you know of what i feel oh i can tell hot from cold i know when you are thinking you ought to have thought twice egad i agree with you you've been badly bit here you were told that i was just off out of the country that you must catch me at once if you wanted to catch me and if you took me you would soon have me off your hands and now we're tied up you find i'm not going at all i vow it's disheartening but if you'll believe me i did honestly believe my old rogue of a father i did think he meant to take me and now you can't be comforted because you have to stay with me oh harry 
you're a gloomy fellow to own a new wife but why did the good man take geoffrey when he might have had you i should have thought he knew a goose when he saw one i can't tell i never saw much meaning in the old gentleman you might as well look at his letter harry stared how did you know that was his you like doing things mysteriously the family of boyce the letter said mr harry i flatter myself that you will be offended but tis all for your good when i came after you i did not know that you were so clever a fellow nor more did i expect that i should have to like you but since i do i prefer that i should do without you and since you have some of my wits you may very well do without me but i believe you will do better without friend geoffrey therefore i take him who will indeed do my business much more sincerely than your worthy self with the dear fellow safe out of the way i count upon you to push on bravely with mrs alison you'll not find two such chances in one life if you were master of her you could promise yourself anything in decent reason you please to want for all your wits you are not the man to make his own way out of nothing so don't be haughty why should you it's a mighty pretty thing harry and trust an old fellow who hath made some use of the sex in his day as tender as you may hope for in an heiress she has looked your way already and in her pique at the good geoffrey deserting her you'll find her warmer for you if you don't make her warm enough for wiving you're an oaf which is not in my blood nor your mother's to be honest nor if i was young again and played your hand i wouldn't let her grow cold when i had her safe so be a man and i give you my blessing o oh, boyce harry held it out to alison we're a noble family the family of boyce said he but alison read it without a blush or a sneer and when she gave it back she was laughing oh he's more cunning than any beast of the field oh he knows the world poor dear fellow oh lord yes he's a fool for his wisdom but he's my father well sir harry scowled at the ground oh what does he matter harry what does anything matter to-day or to-morrow or to-morrow's to-morrow i had no guess of all this harry crushed the paper you believe that oh silly silly you're still content not yet alison said end of part four